Hey, open your Bible with me, if you will, to Acts in the New Testament. Who is uh, glad we're through with the minor prophets? Come on, it's okay to raise your hand. Nobody's going to be mad about that. It's okay. It's okay to say a good hearty amen. Uh, I am kind of glad we're out of the angry, uh, the angry uh, minor prophets as well. I felt like I should put my angry eyes in for that entire preaching series uh, because they were really mad about a lot of stuff, and rightfully so. Uh, but I'm telling you, I'm so glad that we as a church went through the Minor Prophets. Are you glad we did that? Yeah, it was good for me as a pastor and teacher. Uh, I hope and pray that it was profitable for you as well because uh, uh, we know that anytime we open the scriptures, that is a good and profitable thing for us. But today we find ourselves in Acts, and so I'm really stoked about that myself for sure. Uh, so it's been said that the Holy Spirit leaves footprints in the sand. And I'm not talking about that poem, you know, that you hear footprints in the sand, but that he leaves, uh, we, we can see where he's been, we can see where he's going, although we may not be able to see him. In John chapter 3, verse 8, uh, Jesus likened the work of the Spirit to uh, the wind. Uh, he said, um, uh, he did a word play in the, in the original language in the Greek stuff, it, the word pneuma, which means breath or wind or spirit, saying the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. And, and so as we get into the book of Acts and as we preach through um, this book of Acts, um, you're going to see uh, a lot of the footprints of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in and through the footprints of the apostles. Because they're the ones that are going to, uh, that's the ones that Luke's going to be writing about is the apostles and the work that they were doing through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 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 the sound of a mighty rushing wind is what really introduces the Holy Spirit to them, as we'll see in Acts. Um, uh, think of it like this. Uh, think about a sailing ship. Get, get a picture in your mind of one of those giant sailing ships where they put, their, uh, uh, they put their sails up and the wind blows into those sails and the wind is the thing that takes that ship along. Uh, obviously, the captains know how to adjust those things, but it's the wind that is powering the ship to go where it may go. And so think of that. Get that, that picture in your mind as you think about the Holy Spirit uh, and, and the apostolic mission that he gave to the early church, which was carried along, which was powered by, which was driven by the Holy Spirit, specifically the early church and what we hope is our church today in 2023. <clears throat> and so Acts... <clears throat> Acts doesn't give us a picture of a perfect church, right? You'll see that. Just, just agree with me in, in some of these places. Acts doesn't give us a picture of a perfect church, right? Yeah, it, does, it doesn't show us what a perfect church is. It's all pristine and, and pure. Uh, actually, on the contrary, it's really an infant church. I mean, it's the beginning of the church. And anybody knows that an infant, whoo, a lot, a lot of stuff that you're going, why in the world are you doing this? What, what do I do with this now? How do I take this infant and nurture it into something that, is, that grows up into an adult and what we hope is a good productive citizen in society? But, but that's what Acts presents us in the church is the very beginnings of the church, a community just coming into existence that displays the future signs of, uh, of possibility, which is, again, think of it as an infant like our own self. We, we, we see this little mass of humanity that can do nothing on its own, and it needs parents to feed it and to, to nurture it and to hold it and to change its diaper and to clean it up when it messes things up and all things like that. I mean, some of you are in the throes of that kind of thing right now, whether you've got little, little people in your house or teenagers in your house, you know that you're trying to guide them along the way so that, so that they can grow up into maturity. Uh, and so same th the same kind of picture it is with the church, specifically in Acts, as it's getting off the ground. It's really inspired by God. God is the one who wanted the church to happen, uh, but it's just wrestling along because it's not fully developed yet. It's alive with power 
and devotion, but it's not fully sanctified. So you've got power in the church because the Spirit is, is birthing the church, yet they are really jacking it up along the way. And that's why we get a lot of these letters in the New Testament because the, the apostles had to write back to the churches that they were part of establishing and go, I, I, I don't think I would have done that. You know, I, I, maybe that's something you should repent of because that's not the way we do things in the church. That's not what a follower of Jesus should be like. And so I want you to take heart, church, as we read through Acts and as we see the church getting birth, that they really messed up a lot of things then too, just like you and I do today. But in that, the, the, the writers of the New Testament were writing and saying, let's correct some of these things. This is not what it looks like to follow Jesus. So when you hear us preach about some things that may kind of get under your skin a little bit, we're kind of doing the same thing in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to go, I don't think, I would, I don't think God would have us do things that particular way. And all these problems get addressed by Paul and Peter and John and James in the New Testament uh, and in all those letters arise out of the early stages of the church that gets birthed by the Holy Spirit, coming at forming and beginning to form the, uh, the, the Christian faith as we know it today. It, it reminded me a lot of Planting Refuge Church. Uh, almost 14 years ago today, we, our uh, elders were just talking in a, actually it was our staff meeting, uh, that we were just talking and said, you know, we're not a church plant anymore. We, we called ourselves that for a long time because for a long time we were a church plant. We just started in 2009 and we kind of made our way and made a lot of mistakes and a lot of things had to be corrected along the way. And we had to kind of change course and get our course righted along the way, but we're not a church plant anymore. We're almost 14 years old by the grace of God. It's hard to believe that, to be honest with you, being in the throes of it. Um, uh, and through the, the difficulties and the, the starts and stops, and, and the Holy Spirit saw fit to allow us to come and be here and for you to be part of this church family if you are uh, here uh, today in 2023. So let's jump into this. And we'll see kind of what's going to happen here in Acts. And we'll see what the Holy Spirit not only did then, but what he's going to do in and among us. Now, I just want you to know, your elders have been praying for you. Uh, we're excited about jumping into Acts. Uh, we're already uh, uh, rejoicing at what the Holy Spirit is and has been doing in the life of Refuge Church. Uh, we, we see it. Uh, we, we sense it. We know it. Uh, and so we're even, we're very excited about the same thing as we preach through Acts and we see the Holy Spirit at work in the church then, uh, we pray that he will just continue to do a work in and among us here at Refuge. So let's jump in. Uh, uh, anybody need a Bible? Anybody need a Bible? Because we're going we're gonna to be in Acts. If you need one, raise your hand. We'll put one in your hand. Uh, anybody need one? It's okay if you don't have one? Okay, awesome. Wait, so we have right here, one down front. Down front. If you need one, keep it. Our gift to you, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so Luke starts off right out of the gate with this statement right here uh, in the first book. And so let's, let's look at what it says there um, in the first book. That's, that's the piece that I want to really key in on right here. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. So what is this first book that, that the writer speaks about here in verse 1? What is this first book? Do you know? What is it? Yes, yeah, the Gospel of Luke. And so initially, Luke wrote two volumes uh, on separate scrolls. Uh, one was the Gospel of uh, account of Christ, which we call Luke today, and the second, which is carried along with the first, is called the book of Acts. And so this is just an example of what it might have looked like. I brought my own scroll today. And so I need two hefty volunteers. Come on. Yeah, both of y'all come up. 
One of you take one end and one of you take the other. It's heavy. And like spread it out. Careful. Amateur hour. (laughs) We did not practice this ahead of time. I've only got 35 minutes up here, boys. (laughs) It's truth. You're holding your end well, Miles. There we go. All right. So this is about 35 feet long. And this actually stretches from my side door all the way into my living room. That's as far as we could go. And actually, it's all the brown paper we had. It just happened to work out that it was 35. uh, That it was about 35 feet long. And and so some think, some scholars think that um, uh, handwriting on these scrolls, this was about the length of what a scroll might have looked like whenever Acts was being written, 35 feet long. So can you imagine if we are going to, Take these. So what would happen is they would take these scrolls together. And they would they take one that was Luke and one that was Acts, and they would have them together, and they would carry them along with them, and they would open them and read them. So can you imagine what it would look like to open Acts and go, all right? So where where are we in chapter four? Oh wait, they didn't have chapters in them at the time. What about verse twenty? Oh, they didn't have verses at the time identified in them, and so they would have to find whatever they were studying and where they were looking for something in these scrolls and they would have to unroll them and find them. And so I don't know if they laid them on the floor somewhere. I don't know if they kind of moved them little by little to kind of figure out where they were in there to try to figure out how they looked like or where they were finding them. But this is what, say, Acts might have been written on something like this. Probably bigger, probably wider, uh, but something this long to try to figure out where they were to try to find uh, what they were looking for in the Word of God. Okay, you you can let your end go again now, Drew. Look at that. There you go. You can just leave it right there. That'll be fine. So today, we don't do... Yeah, good, good job, boys. There you go. So today, we don't have to do that very thing. We have, uh, we have fantastic leather-bound Bibles, many leather-bound books uh, that we get to use. And so if you've got a, a Bible, like a, a hard copy of a Bible, let me see it. Ra- raise it. Just lift your Bible up in the air so I can see where those things are. Okay, look around. You can see. And now, not a digital one. I'm, I didn't say that, Angelina. <laughs> a leather-bound book. There we go. All right, so I see that. Now, uh, and so we have lots of leather-bound books that we use here uh, as, as we study this thing. And there are multiple printed versions that we find of the Scriptures. And, and, and at, many of us access the Scriptures differently than others. Uh, sometimes, and if you have a digital copy, who has digital copies? Let me see your digital copies. Yep, raise them up. Yep. So now, if you've got a digital copy, like on your phone, on your tablet, or something like that, you literally have access to multiple translations. You've got places that you can go and and study word studies, like right there in your hands. You've got a little computer in your hands that you can go and study this anytime that you wanted to. But in the early church, it was this way. It was rolled up on a scroll and they carried it with them from place to place, from gathering space to gathering space, and they would open it up, and they would study it and declare, uh, this is the word of the Lord. And so in the early church, it became the practice of the church that they would begin to gather the gospels together. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are what we call the gospels. And so they would gather those together, and they would begin to study those as the gospels uh, together. And so, uh, so in the early church, they kind of began to separate out uh, Luke and Acts. Sometimes they were carried together, but again, as the early church began to form the New Testament uh, to, uh, together, they would they would keep these gospel accounts together. Um, uh, but and, and so sometimes Acts got you know uh, separated like it is today. But when they were together, they had this unique name for uh, whenever they would keep Luke t- together and Acts together. You know what they would call it? Luke Acts. So uh, it was a very creative name uh, that they would keep Luke and Acts together. 
And, and so it was in the early church that the second portion of Luke's writing was given the title, The Acts of the Apostles. Uh, it could have been called The Acts of the Holy Spirit because, number one, uh, it, was, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And number two, it's really an outpouring of the, or a record of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And you'll see that as we get further into Acts, that we see the Holy Spirit coming upon the church and what the, the Holy Spirit was actually active in the church and what he was causing the people of the church to go and to do and the things that God had called them to do. And so as we work through Acts over probably the next year and a half is probably what it's going to take us uh, to get through this. Uh, as we work through Acts over the next year and a half or so, don't miss the power and the presence of the third person of the Trinity. Uh, this, this third person of the Trinity, this promised one that Jesus said, when I go away, I'm going to send you the comforter. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, which he talked about in his upper room discourse that's found in John's gospel. He said, it's better that I go away and I'm going to send you the comforter. I'm going to send you the Spirit. And so uh, this, this book of Acts is inspired, really it's all inspired by the Holy Spirit, but we see this specific pouring out of the Spirit here in, um, in Acts. Um, so let's see, why is uh, Acts so important? And so really, as we get into Acts, you're going to see how this kind of new movement that's emerging kind of out of Judaism and uh, it's, it's calling and it's incorporating the Gentiles into what the church was at the time. And, and all that, they're forming this new community of God. And, and so if, if during that time that, that the people who followed Jesus who were Jews and the people who were Gentiles and they followed Jesus, if they could come together and form the early church and survive by the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more should we be able to do that? How much more should you and I be able to be in a church family together and exist together for the calling that Jesus calls us to, that the Holy Spirit calls us to? How much more should we be able to live in harmony with one another if we're on the same mission that God calls us to? If he could take both Jews and Gentiles from the early times the church was forming and the church was getting off the ground and have them exist together, how much more should we be able to do that? We'll see that the Holy Spirit was, uh, uh, came as, as the power and the presence to actually see this new church get off the ground. We'll see a lot of that happen in Acts. And so Luke described a lot of this power that came from Jesus in his gospel. And it was mainly, as Luke wrote his gospel, it was mainly focused on the beginning of Jesus' work and teaching. Uh, so if you read through the gospel of Luke, that's what you're going to see. The work of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, what he was doing, what he was teaching during that time. And now in this second volume of his work, uh, we, we see the continuing work of Jesus in and through the Holy Spirit in, in, in the ministry to the 12 apostles and the other believers such as Stephen and Philip and Paul. You'll see the Spirit using them and, and directing them and, and, and carrying them along and doing what it was that he wanted them to do. And so let's get back to our text. Uh, so, we, so we see this. Uh, we see that in this first book, sorry, uh-oh. Uh, in this first book, he says this. Um... I am messing it up here. Hang on. In the first book, O Theophilus, and, uh, and again, uh, we're seeing that he wrote this to uh, Theophilus. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so we know that both the gospel of Luke and Acts are addressed to the same person, Theophilus. I would encourage you to underline that in your Bibles. Uh, so you'll see that that's who this was actually written to during the time. Say his name with me, Theophilus. Say that. Theophilus, yeah, you're going to, you, it's an interesting thing that many of us probably just skip over from time to time. We'll, we'll mumble through his name from time to time, but he's kind of the important character uh, as we get into this. Um, and, and so uh, look what it says in uh, Luke chapter, turn with me back to, uh, from Acts back to Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Turn there with your Bibles with me. 
So both Luke and Acts were written to this guy named Theophilus. Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through 4 says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. See what he's saying? People are writing about these things that Jesus has done, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers to the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And that's what I want us to see is verse 4 of that text, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And so, uh, Luke wanted Theophilus to be rooted and grounded in this gospel message, in this thing about who Jesus was, in this record of who Jesus was. He's like, I want you to be rooted and grounded in this. I want you to know the truth of the gospel. I want you to know the story of God. And so I'm writing this specific letter uh, to you. And so uh, Theophilus uh, is, a word, uh, is a name that means dear to God and loved by God. And, and, and so as we take from this, I truly believe Theophilus was an actual person. Uh, There's some people that go, this is just some ghostwriter thing, you know, that, that, that this was just a name that he chose out of, out of the blue. But I believe Theophilus was an actual person being discipled by Luke. Uh, Luke had a desire for, for Theoph Theophilus to know Jesus uh, not only know about Jesus, but to really know Jesus as his Lord and his Savior. To live all of his days of his life just, just, just serving Jesus and to be on mission with Jesus. Uh, to be a part of, uh, to be about his uh, uh, work in the kingdom. He wanted him to know him as his Savior and his Lord. And honestly, this is not what he wanted him to do. He didn't want him just to go, hey, let me teach you this prayer, and you pray this prayer, and then you're part of Jesus' kingdom, and then just go on and live your life any way that you want to live. That's one of, I'll just be honest with you, that's one of our grave concerns at Refuge. One of our grave concerns about the church, and, and we will say specifically our church, because this is who God has given us watch care over, is that some that come to refuge and some of you that I'm speaking to and some of you who are maybe watching from someplace uh, else online, our, our great fear is that you've prayed that, uh, that specific prayer or whatever that particular prayer might have been or you believe in this golden ticket theology that you hear us say a lot of that I prayed a prayer somewhere along the way, I'll just live my life any way that I want to live my life and someday I'll whip out the golden ticket on the Lord and say, remember that time I prayed my prayer? And you think that might be your way of salvation. That's not biblical Christianity. It's just not. And so our hope for you is that if you've prayed the prayer to, to repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit will continue to conform you and form you into the likeness of Jesus. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus, is to follow him, to be conformed and form yourself into his likeness. Doesn't mean that you're perfect. Like the early church, doesn't mean we do everything right. We mess it up a lot of times. Some of us have a lot of great zeal, but it's uncontrolled. Uh, but we want you to be formed and conformed into the likeness of Jesus all the days of your life. One of our great concerns. Not just a said faith. Not having just something that you say is whatever it is. But your life actually is, is being formed and conformed into the likeness of Jesus. It seems as though... Uh, Luke utilized the same three major categories that we emphasize at Refuge. And, and these are the three things we talk about at Refuge, gospel, community, and mission. And here's why I say that. Because Luke wrote regularly about the gospel message. That's what he wrote in his gospel. He was telling, this, this was the life of Jesus. This is what Jesus did. This is how Jesus lived his life. This is how Jesus died on the cross for you, that he was raised from the dead, and he has conquered death and hell and the grave. And so he talked about the gospel message regularly. He spent time with his friends. Obviously, we see this. He wrote the entire, his entire uh, a gospel of Luke and Acts to Theophilus. And he took his time to pin that to his friend. 
So that's spending some time with Theophilus to go, I'm willing to give you my life for the sake of you knowing and growing and following Jesus. He spent time with him and, and encouraged him along the way. And then he gave his life not only to see Theophilus come to know Jesus and to grow into Jesus, but he gave his life to others to come to know Jesus. We call that mission. That whenever we give our lives away for the sake of others coming to know Jesus, we're saying we're living on mission. We don't have to go across the seas to be a missionary. We can be a missionary and be on mission in our schools, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. And so we believe that this was all about gospel, community, and mission. And oh, that we might have that same hunger refuge. That same hunger, first of all, for ourselves to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. I want you to be hungry for that. I want you to be hungry to know that the gospel makes a difference in your life. That Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, makes a difference in your life. That you just don't go through the motions, but you actually live out the fact that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can't have the Holy Spirit in you and not be changed. We want you to live in that way, and we want to encourage you along that way. And in a very close second is that we might be filled with God the Holy Spirit and empowered to take that message of the gospel to our families, to our friends, to our neighborhoods, and to whoever the Spirit might lead us to share the gospel with. For them to know Jesus, your elders' fervent desire of our hearts is that we will live out this in word and deed for the rest of our lives. Amen? Amen. It's, an, it's imperative that you and I exercise our gospel muscles. And so um, let's talk about exercising our gospel muscles. Who in here exercises your regular muscles? You can raise your hands if you can get them up with those big arms. <laughs> Um, so you, rec you exercise your physical muscles. Why do you exercise your physical muscles? To feel good. To feel good? What else? To protect, to protect, right? To protect the body. What else? To look good. To, look good. <laughs> to get stronger. What else? To be healthy. Yeah, to, you want to be, whatever life you're going to live, you want to be healthy. You want it to be a productive life somewhere along the way. And so we exercise our physical muscles all along the way. Uh, what about, I know uh, my son plays baseball. It's baseball season, Arlington, you know, we're, we're getting excited about baseball season. Why do you go through the motions and the drills of like hitting and throwing and catching? Why do you do those kinds of things? Drew, why do you do those things? Yeah, you can be good at it when you need to, right? So whenever you're going to hit the baseball, when you're at the plate, do you think, okay, hold myself a certain way, set my feet a certain way. Here comes a pitch. I should probably uh, throw my hands first, keep my hands inside, and, and turn my head. Do you think that every time the pitch is coming? How, what happens with that? <laughs> yeah, you do. You would. <laughs> Did you hear what he said? He said you would screw yourself over if you did that. <laughs> uh, why do you not do that? Or wh wh why do you go through those drills over and over again? Yeah, so it's second nature. So just as the opportunity comes and the pitch comes, you, just get, you don't think about all the things that you do. Hey, same way for us in exercising our gospel muscles. Not so we don't screw ourselves over. <laughs> but... <laughs> But so that when the opportunity presents itself, I'm not having to think about, okay, what is this verse that I need to say right now? What is it that I, how is it that I need to address this particular situation? What is it that I need to do? What is my next step in responding to this person? We exercise our gospel muscles so that whenever, we're, whenever, we, get, uh, whenever we encounter someone that we need to share the gospel with, it just becomes second nature. And we enter into that with that person so that we might be participants in what's going on. Does that make sense, church? 
so that we're not having to think, oh my goodness, I'm so tired and I don't remember what I'm supposed to say and I don't know what the next thing is that I should probably share with this person or I don't even know exactly how I should pray with this person because I hadn't done it in so long. We exercise our gospel muscles so that we're ready and we're instinctive through the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to respond to a person in that same kind of way. And so... Um, as we get back to thinking about Acts and we're preparing ourselves to, to be engaged with people, Acts is written in a way that is, uh, really works as an apologetics, a defense of the truth uh, about the claims of Christianity, a way to, uh, to not only help Theophilus whenever it was written to him, but for you and I to learn how to proclaim the goodness of Jesus and the truth about what the gospel proclaims as good news. And so it also makes this apostolic apologetic for Paul because Paul was not origi- you know, part of the original 12 apostles uh, that followed Jesus. But three times in the book of Acts, uh, uh, Paul's conversion is actually talked about. And it's really talked about in the way that he gave Paul this apostolic mission to go to the Gentiles. And all the Gentiles in the room said, amen. amen. We're thankful for that. Thankful for the fact that Paul was called to those who were not originally part of uh, the, the, the original calling. So we'll get into that more as we get into these particular texts. So back to verse 1. Long time in verse 1, right, preacher? Yeah, I know. So it says, in the first book of, in, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so it, let's, let's get into that part. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And it's interesting to me that there are some accounts in Luke's gospel that are only specific to Luke's gospel. And so if you think about what was happening, uh, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the, those are the gospels. And, and, and Luke records some things that are only specific to him because he was writing, if you remember, to a specific person and for a specific reason. And, and so let's just think about a few of these. Honestly, I was going to read them, but we just don't have time. And so I'm going to give you the references. Uh, you might want to write these down because I think they're really uh, good and important for you. Uh, to think about. First, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. That's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Man, we get, we, you hear Good Samaritan all over the place. I watch the Today Show on a regular basis in the mornings, and almost without fail, if some kind of rando comes and helps somebody in some news story that they're going, almost always, what does somebody on the news refer to them as? A good Samaritan. Hey, a good Samaritan came along and helped X, Y, or Z. A good Samaritan showed up and helped them do something else along the way. And, and, and so that's clearly straight from the Bible. That's using biblical references into today's world. And I love that whenever I hear it. Some people, it probably may pass in or out. But the reality is that that is straight, straight from the Scriptures and straight from Luke's Gospel. Secondly, the rich man who built bigger barns from Luke chapter 12. He was like, man, I've got all this stuff and I probably just need to build bigger barns that I need to put my stuff in. Uh, You can read that in Luke chapter 12. You can read the parable of the fig tree in Luke chapter 13. The prodigal son, which we all know. Another one of those cultural references whenever we speak of a prodigal son. What is that referring to? If you say, hey man, I'm sorry you have a prodigal son. What's it referring to? Come on, what's it? Yeah, a wayward child, a child that's gone off on his, kind of chased his own way and he's doing his own thing. And the prayer is that hopefully he will come home. If we say the prodigal son has come home, what, it's, it's referring to a biblical story that, that, that Luke wrote about only in his gospel. Uh, there's the, the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, which is in Luke chapter 16. The publican and the sinner in Luke chapter 19. A warning about greed in Luke chapter 12. Places of honor at the table in Luke chapter 14. And the cost of discipleship in Luke chapter 14. All those are specific to Luke's gospel that Luke was writing these stories that he saw, he experienced, that he was part of uh, in his letter that he was writing. And that's what he writes here in Acts chapter 1. In the first book, uh, when he's talking about his gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, the person that he's writing to, I have dealt with all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. And so there are um, uh, the details about that he wrote for his friend Theophilus and for you and me today are imperative for us to know. Um, 
And, and so he wrote about the deliverance from someone, the, the, the deliverance from sin. He wrote about the fact, he wrote about the gospel in a little bit of a different way, not just to know the gospel and, and to believe the gospel just for the forgiveness of our sins, but rescue from God's wrath and deliverance from the wrath of God. He wrote about it in a unique way that some of the us, other gospel writers um, didn't happen to, to talk about. He was also one of the writers that, that talked about people who lived in the margins. He talked about people who were not part of mainstream society. Some of those that he talked about were people that are afflicted with diseases, the handicapped, aliens, refugees, children, the poor, slaves, prostitutes, widows, the elderly, shepherds, tax collectors, Samaritans and Gentiles. He wrote about all these things in his gospel that he was addressing that were specific to people groups that weren't necessarily part of the mainstream. And so I have to ask you that question. Do you feel like you're living in the margins? You feel like you live kind of out on the edge where nobody knows you or nobody sees you or maybe no, you feel like nobody cares about you? You live in the shadows See, Luke wrote about a God who knows you, a God who sees you, a God who cares about you, a God who calls you to himself. Though nobody else around in our culture may give any, any care about who you are, Luke wrote about a God who does care about you. You don't have to live in the shadows in Jesus' kingdom. Luke wrote to Theophilus to remind him of Jesus' kindness toward all those who are even outside the household of faith and that Jesus calls you to follow him. Follow him through repenting of your sins, putting your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, turning from your sins and believing that Jesus is the only way. That there's no other name given under heaven and earth whereby you must be saved. Today, he would say, if Luke were writing to us today, he would say, today is your day of salvation. Today is your day to come to Jesus. And he goes on, moves into verse 2. Look what he said. Until that day... Until that day when he was taken up, after he had given the commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so he talked about this very thing, um, when he was taken up. So you had verse 1, and he says, I, I wrote you about all these things uh, until the day when he was taken up. It's interesting to note in the verse that Luke writes when he was taken up. Uh, the same thing, the same verb was used whenever uh, the scriptures refer to Elijah. If you remember the story of Elijah, that Elijah was taken up. You know, he didn't, he didn't die a death here on the earth, but he was taken up and he was taken away as, as an alive person. The same way, same way it's talked about Jesus here in this particular text. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. For most of my life, and I'm 55, and I'm saying for like 55 years and some months, uh, I was under the impression um, that Jesus ascended to heaven under his own power. I, I, I was just like, I saw him like Superman, you know. It's like up, up, and away. Whoo, here he goes, you know. That, that's just, that, that's what I've had in my head. Maybe you've had it in your head that way. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're a, more of a scholar than I am. But that's just my impression that Jesus did that on his own, but, but this is this interesting from Acts chapter 1. It says, until the day when he was taken up. And, and so here's what we see. When we read the Gospels, we see that, that God raised Jesus from the dead, right? Jesus didn't raise himself up, that, that God raised Jesus from the dead. And now we see that, that he was taken up. And, and so the assumption is that he was taken up by God, right? That, that God took him up. And if you remember, Jesus said this. I do all the things that my father tells me to do. I do all the things. And I operate in the way, whenever I hear from the father, I give it to you. I do the things that he tells me to do. I do all the things that the father commands me. And that's just a good place for you and me to live. 
that we're not trying to figure this out on, this, on our own. We're not trying to operate in our own power, but we wait and we hear from God and we do the things that God calls us to do. The next thing we see is not only was he taken up, but he gave instructions to the apostles. So he gave them right there. You see that? He was giving this instructions to the apostles, the 11 remaining ones, through the Holy Spirit that he gave them this, uh, th these instructions. And, and I would just say that I pray that you and I don't neglect this forgotten God, the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan likes to refer to the Holy Spirit as the forgotten God. And here's where we see the Holy Spirit. So he says, the day when I was taken up, after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was telling him what to say to the apostles through whom he had chosen. So the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus and his ministry. How much more, if Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit, how much more do you and I need to depend on the Holy Spirit? How much more do you and I need a regular, daily, hourly dependence upon the Holy Spirit to live the life that we're called to live today? In that same vein, we can do all, say all, all that God calls you and me to in the power of the Holy Spirit. It may seem impossible. It may seem like this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. This is the dumbest idea I've ever heard of in my entire life, whatever it is. But if God calls us and he empowers us with the Holy Spirit to do it, guess what? It, it's just going to happen. We're going to have the power to be able to do what it is that God calls us to do and empowers us by the Spirit to do it as crazy as it may seem to us to possibly do it. Don't neglect such a great power and gift of the Holy Spirit to us as believers. And then lastly, he says this in verse 3, and this is important. Um, he says, um, he presented himself alive, right there. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so Luke reminds Theophilus that Jesus actually really did die on the cross after suffering many proofs, he says. He was buried, see that, after suffering many proofs. That he was buried and then presented himself alive to them during the 40 days remaining on this earth. And could Jesus continued to come and to speak to them and to teach them truth and, and to spend time with them and, and, and uh, go into them and, and spend time with lots of people during his last 40 days on the earth. And look, these disciples were not a bunch of simpletons. Yes, some were fishermen, some were doctors, some, they had all kinds of different uh, uh, job titles that they had during the time. But they, they were not just going to believe anything that came across their faces. But they were 100% convinced, like 100, 100% convinced that Jesus had been raised from the dead. 100% convinced that Jesus was raised from the dead. Enough to give the rest of their lives to proclaim this great truth. The account of Jesus' death or his life, his death, his resurrection for the rest of their lives. And many of them died as martyrs because they believed this and they took it literally to their death. They were not willing to recount it. They were, not, they were willing to die excruciating and painful deaths because of what they believed and what they declared. Finally, Jesus' time was spent with his disciples. Much time was spent with his disciples after his resurrection. And he ended up talking to them, not so much about his resurrection. They saw that. But they began to talk about the kingdom of God. Look right there. And so let's look back at what this verse says. He, Jesus, presented himself alive. So he was alive. He, he died on a cross, but he presented himself as alive. 
to them after suffering many proofs. So, so they got to see, the disciples got to see the suffering that he actually went through, the beatings, the whippings, the dragging the cross, all the things that Jesus suffered physically for us. And they got to see his anguish on the cross by the sins of mine and yours being laid on him, the sins of the world, the sins of his people being laid on him. Appearing, then he appeared to them after his resurrection for 40 days and speaking with them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom gets referenced a lot in the Old Testament concerning God's sovereignty over all his creation and things like that. But in Luke's gospel, he begins to talk about the kingdom of God. He talks about the kingdom more than any other gospel. And all through Acts, we're going to see uh, a Luke referencing the kingdom of God. Honestly, one cannot separate the ministry of Jesus and the kingdom. They, they are just so, in essence, almost interchangeable. And so what we see and where we are, this, this is where we are today. The time between Jesus' ascension back to the Father and the time of where he will, he will come back again, we are living in the kingdom of God being established on this earth and spreading through the proclamation of the gospel. The kingdom being established and the, and the kingdom breaking into darkness here on the face of the earth. Person by person, family by family, people group by people group. And so I believe this initial call of Luke's uh, a plea to Theophilus and to obviously us in this is to be about our Savior's business. He desperately wanted Theophilus to be about his Savior's business. Pointing to Jesus, the author of our faith, the finisher of our faith, and that his kingdom is now present and spreading throughout the world. A kingdom that he invites you and me to be a part of. And so we have to ask this question. So what, preacher? So what? If all this is true, I've heard you explain a lot of things, whatever. So what? A few things. One, remember, Luke was about what Jesus began to do and teach. And Acts is what Jesus continues to do in and through the apostles and now through us. So as you read the gospel account, we get to an understanding of what it was that Jesus did and now what he is empowering uh, his disciples to do. This is, Christianity is not a sit and soak and sour kind of faith. We are called to do and to be active for whatever breaths we have left to be active in the work that Jesus called us to. Secondly, I would say this, love someone enough to share the good news of the gospel, just like Luke did. Just like Luke did. He gave a ton of his time. Think about writing on those scrolls. Think about the time that he took to pen those letters to Theophilus. The time he invested in, he said, I want you to know more about this. I want you to know all the details about what was going on. Love someone, anyone, enough to share the good news of the gospel. Some of you have never done it one time. You're Christians, you call yourself a Christian, and you've never shared the gospel one time. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. If you don't know how to share the gospel, ask us to help you learn. Ask us to help you. Ask your gospel community leader to help you learn how to share the gospel. We'll teach you. We'll disciple you in this. We want you to learn and know how to share the good news of the gospel, just like Luke did. Invest time with a new believer. Teach them all you know about Jesus. Luke did that with Theophilus. He taught him everything he knew. He wrote it down for him. Hey, you don't understand this? Let me diagram this for you. You don't know about this story? Let me remind you of this story. And he wrote it down for him. And then he wrote about the Holy Spirit coming and what was done through the Holy Spirit. Take, invest time with a new believer. Teach them everything you know about Jesus. Here's where we can't live. The gospel must not only be lived, 
but it must be spoken and declared. It's not enough to live some good, clean life. People really don't care about you living a good, clean life. They might say, that's a nice girl. I mean, she's always nice and kind. That dude's a pretty good dude. But they need to hear the gospel declared from you. The truth, the gospel is a message. And people need to hear that message declared from you, just like Theophilus was doing, or just like Luke was doing for Theophilus. Just like we do from the pulpit every week. You're called to do the very same thing with the people you know and love. Pray for your Theophilus, your person. Your person that you're willing to invest, if it's just one person in 2023, pray for that person. God, help me to know how this person, how to reach this person. Help me to know what to say. Help me with their objections that they have for me. Help me to know how to respond. Help me know how to love them well. Help me to know how to push into their life without being pushy. Help me to know how to answer their questions. Pray, ask, watch the helper help you. And, and along with that, love someone enough to spend or give your life for them to know Jesus. There's somebody you love enough that's outside the household of faith that you'd be willing to give your life to them knowing Jesus. What a tragic place to be is just somewhere you come across that same person and you never share the gospel with them and they come to the end of their life. What a tragic place to be. Don't, don't find yourself in that place. And lastly, if believers do not cherish their Savior's commands in this life, how will unbelievers credit Jesus' promises for a life to come? If we don't cherish our Savior's commands to go and to make disciples, to share the good news of the gospel, how in the world should we expect someone outside the household of faith to credit Jesus' promises for a life to come, to believe anything that Jesus said if they can't see it in and among and through us? What you do, how you live your life matters in your home, in your school, in your friend group, in your social circles, in your neighborhood. Literal eternity is at stake. Like Luke wrote, speak regularly, often, about the gospel and the kingdom of God. May God help us. Let's pray.